News of the Times, Serial Killer Saturdays, Dr. William Palmer, The Prince of Poisoners. Welcome to the launch of a new series we are trialling called Serial Killer Saturdays. In this series, we will be focusing in depth on a serial killer from British history. The stories are based on publications of their day. In today's episode, we turn to 1855, looking at Dr. William Palmer, a keen gambler whose addiction seemed to overshadow his rather comfortable economic situation. This case in particular is of historic interest as it was one of the very first cases involving strychnine, a rather new poison in 1855. Wife, brother, children, mother-in-law, friends. No one in his circle seems to have been safe from him. He was nicknamed the Prince of Poisoners by the press. Dr. William Palmer. Who was Dr. William Palmer? He was born on August the 6th, 1824 and was born and bred in Rugeley. He came from a large family of eight children, of which he was the sixth child. His father owned a lumber yard. There were many reports intimating that he was his mother's favourite. Upon his death, when William was twelve, all children inherited £7,000 each. Palmer's mother, Sarah, was left £26,000 at the father's death. Palmer initially worked as a chemist's apprentice, but was dismissed under the allegations of monetary theft. His mother came and saved the day, paying off the sum taken and begging that her son not be convicted. Palmer was let go with no further action. At his next job as an apprentice to a village doctor, Palmer was once again caught stealing and was summarily fired. In 1844, Palmer became a pupil at the Stafford Infirmary to attempt to qualify as a physician. Weak-willed Palmer found the studying that was required to be laborious. His mother came to his aid and sourced and paid for a tutor to help Palmer to pass his exams, with the prize of £100 to the tutor, if he succeeded. It worked, and Palmer became a qualified doctor in August 1846. Upon graduation, Palmer returned to Staffordshire, where his procession of deaths began. The Death's Chronology Palmer was either an extremely unfortunate man or there was something amiss in the Palmer family and extended family. Abley's death, Palmer's first kill, sometime in 1846 upon his return to Staffordshire, Palmer met a George Abley at a pub in Little Haywood. The two drank together. A drinking game with a side wager was suggested. 
As we can see from his history, Palmer had a strong addiction to any type of gambling, although horse racing seems to have been his preference. Nevertheless, the drinking wager went on between them and Abley won the bet. But, very shortly afterwards, Abley became ill and was found unconscious outside the pub. Nothing was thought of it at the time, only retrospectively with Palmer's poisonous touch did the death become suspect. Dr. Palmer returned to his hometown of Rugeley and married Anne Thornton on October the 7th, 1847. Anne was an heiress of the Noah's Ark hostelry. Her guardian was opposed to the marriage, but Palmer was persistent and they married in October the 7th, 1847. Palmer began borrowing money from his wealthy mother-in-law, Mary Thornton, within a year. Mary was a known dipsomaniac, which was why Anne, known as Annie, had a guardian who controlled her estate. Mary had considerable money of her own. On January the 6th, 1849, Palmer brought Annie's mother, Mary, to his house, stating that he had found her unconscious and suffering from alcohol poisoning at her own house. On January the 18th, 1849, Mary died. She had only been in the Palmer household less than two weeks before her death. Palmer expected a payout to his wife of some £12,000 from Mary's death, but was highly upset to find that no money from her estate would be transferred to his wife Annie. Palmer was reportedly furious. Leonard Bladen In May 1850, as a keen horse racing and gambling enthusiast, Palmer borrowed the then considerable amount of £600 from a Leonard Bladen. Palmer and Bladen were known to have gone to the Chester races where Bladen did very well and Palmer lost. After the races, Palmer invited Bladen to his house in Rugeley where he promised to pay him back the £600 owed to him. Before his departure to Palmer's house, Bladen sent a note to his wife telling her of his win at the races and how he was expecting to come back home with close to £1,000 in his pocket. It was later reported that Bladen had passed an exceptionally painful death at Palmer's house. No paper record of his loan to Palmer could be found by his wife. His wife was also surprised to find only £15 on his person upon his death. Palmer signed the death certificate, stating that Bladen had died of an internal abscess from a previous injury. Palmer's Household Palmer's first child was called William and was born in 1850. This child was the only child to survive from the five children Palmer and Annie had together. The other four children, 
all died between the ages of two and a half months old to four hours old. Palmer once again signed the death certificates, recording that each of his children's deaths were due to convulsions. A cleaning lady in the service to the Palmers quit after the death of the fourth child, sharing at the local pub that Palmer had done away with his children in order to not have to pay for raising them. Spiralling Debts In 1854, with the now frequent cycle of spiralling debts and hounding creditors once again overriding Palmer's life, Palmer forged his mother's signature to pay off creditors and his outstanding debt by the sum of £2,000. At this time, Palmer was said to have owed £12,500 to one creditor and 10400 to another. This was a considerable sum in 1854. Around this time, he also insured his wife Annie for £13,000. Annie died shortly after the one and only insurance premium was paid out. Her initial chill turned to violent vomiting under the loving care of her husband Palmer. She died on the 29th of September, 1854. Palmer signed Annie's death certificate, recording her death as due to cholera, an illness that was running rampant in England at that time. Supposedly heartbroken by Annie's death, he sadly collected the £13,000 insurance payout. It's worth noting that the Palmer's 18-year-old housemaid, Eliza Tharm, gave birth to an illegitimate son nine months after Annie's death. That child also died five months later. In early 1855, Palmer took out an insurance policy on his brother Walter. Walter was a notorious alcoholic. The six different insurance schemes on Walter's life totaled a potential payout of £82,000 to Palmer. Walter was dried out prior to the required medical examinations in order to be considered fit for life insurance. Once Walter had passed the medical tests, a single premium payment was paid before Walter promptly and conveniently died on the 16th of August, 1855. However, the insurance company, now suspicious given the close time proximity to the death of Palmer's Annie, were more reluctant to pay out until the body of his brother could be inspected. Upon the insurance investigators arriving to inspect Walter's body, they were surprised to find that Palmer had ordered his brother Walter's coffin to be sealed. Also, the insurance company found it odd that the payout was to go to Palmer rather than Walter's own wife. With some more digging, the investigators found that Palmer had also taken out an insurance policy on one of his employees, George Bates, although Bates 
had been unaware of the insurance policy. The policy was removed and Bates survived. No money was paid out for Walter's death by the insurance company with some vague threats of potential prosecution which was not carried out. The Crime That Captured Palmer In December 1855, once again, with mounting debts and screaming creditors, Palmer attended the races with his friend John Cook in Shrewsbury. They had travelled from Rugeley some fifty miles away. John Cook's bet at the track paid off, and he won a staggering £3,000. Palmer lost again, adding to his already burdensome maelstrom of debt and increasing his risk with the looming moneylenders. Simultaneously, he received yet another letter from one of the moneylenders threatening him. After the race drinks celebration, Cook complained that his gin burned his throat. He became violently ill afterwards, but recovered. Cook had taken a room in a hotel across from Palmer's house. Cook alternated to reviving from illness to then becoming violently ill. This pattern seemed to occur after he had anything to eat or drink. Cook died violently in convulsions on the 21st of November, 1855. In agony, he screamed that he was suffocating. The day after Cook died, Cook's stepfather, William Stevens, arrived. Stevens seems to have been sceptical at once regarding his son-in-law's death. This was compounded by finding that Palmer had already ordered the coffin and was arranging Cook's funeral. Palmer had also succeeded in getting a death certificate from 80-year-old Dr. Barnford listing Cook's death as apoplexy. During the later trial, it was implied that Dr. Barnford was suffering from dementia. The housemaid reported that Palmer had given medicine and broth to Cook. The housemaid had tasted the broth by putting her finger into it to taste. She reported that it had made her violently ill. Palmer told the father-in-law that Cook had £4,000 of debt. Palmer added that Cook's betting papers had become lost. The father-in-law became highly suspicious and, as next of kin, requested a post-mortem. Cook's post-mortem. There seemed to be clear interference from Dr. William Palmer in regards to the post-mortem of his now-dead friend, John Cook. Dr. Palmer oversaw the examination being conducted by a medical student. It was reported that Dr. Palmer accidentally bumped into the student conducting the examination, thereby causing some spilling of the stomach contents. It was also reported that Palmer had taken some of the remaining stomach contents off into a jar for safekeeping. A boy working as a laboratory helper was supposedly bribed 
to overturn the contents on a cart awaiting analysis and smash the bottles. This failed. With two previous attempts failing, a postmaster was approached to divert the analysis report that was on its way to the county coroner. This also failed. Palmer then wrote directly to the coroner requesting that a verdict of natural causes for Cook's death be given. He had enclosed a ten-pound note. The coroner was an honest man and reported the bribe to the authorities. The coroner stated that he believed Cook to have been poisoned and an inquest was held, although in actuality no poison had been found in Cook's botched post-mortem. It would appear that Palmer's many attempts to circumnavigate the post-mortem results implicated him rather than anything actually found within the post-mortem itself. Suspicions grew regarding the list of unhappy deaths in Palmer's immediate family. Bodies were ordered to be exhumed. Walter's body was in such a state of putrefaction that it was impossible for any accurate investigation to take place. Annie's post-mortem examination was more revealing and showed signs of her having been poisoned with antimony, a metallic poison similar to arsenic and which had been used as a poison for centuries. It was rife in all her body organs, indicating a slow poisoning procedure. The Inquest December fifteenth, 1855 At the inquest, the jury returned the verdict. The deceased died of poison, willfully administered to him by William Palmer. Palmer was formally arrested for the forgery of his mother's signature and for the murder of his friend, John Cook. Palmer was held at the Stafford Prison to await trial. Trial at the Old Bailey Palmer's trial at the Old Bailey in 1856 was considered the trial of the year. The presiding judge was Lord Chief Justice John Campbell, 1st Baron Campbell. The poison in question with Cook was strychnine, a different poison used from the usual arsenic one found in poisoning cases at that time. This new poison that had been used, the crime involving the bourgeois class and the potential volume of killings that may have taken place from Dr. Palmer, all helped to make the case a sensational drama of its day. Palmer could only be tried for one murder, even if others were suspected, and the trial of Palmer's murder of Cook commenced. No definitive trace of poison could be found in Cook's body, although considerable circumstantial evidence was given as to why this might be the case, given that Palmer had overseen Cook's post-mortem personally. The prosecution demonstrated clear motive with Palmer's considerable gambling debts and the now-known theft of James Cook's winnings. Also, it was proven 
that Palmer had purchased strychnine a few days before Cook's death. The circumstantial evidence included Elizabeth Mills, who worked at the inn where Cook was staying, said that as Cook was dying, Cook had accused Palmer of murder. Charles Newton, witness, told the jury that he had seen Palmer purchasing strychnine. Chemist Mr. Salt admitted selling strychnine in the belief that he was using it to poison a dog. The chemist admitted that he had failed to record the sale in his poisons book as required by law. Chemist Charles Roberts from another chemist's shop admitted selling Palmer strychnine without noting the sale in his poisons book. Moneylender Thomas Pratt told the court that he had lent money to Palmer at 60% interest. Palmer's bank manager confirmed that Palmer's bank balance stood at £9 on the 3rd of November, 1855. Palmer's defence attempted to discredit any evidence given and to cast doubt due to the substantial circumstantial evidence. Ultimately, after the twelve-day-long trial, the jury only required a little over an hour to find Dr. William Palmer guilty of murder. The judge pronounced execution by hanging, and Dr. Palmer was said to have no reaction to his sentence. At no point did Palmer admit his crimes, and he seemed wholly unconvinced about his impending execution. I have nothing to say, and nothing shall I say, was his inevitable reply to all entreaties for him to confess his crimes. Some 30,000 people attended Stafford Prison to see Dr. William Palmer's public execution. His executioner was George Smith, otherwise known as Throttler Smith. Trains throughout were crowded as spectators came from all across the country to see his death. Public houses were full. Platforms were erected for spectators willing to pay a guinea. Every space possible was packed with spectators to watch Dr. William Palmer's hang. As a real spectator's event, ghoulish souvenirs were on sale, such as sections of the rope the noose was made from on sale for a guinea each. Reportedly, as Palmer stepped onto the gallows to be hung, he looked at the trapdoor and said, Are you sure it's safe? We at News of the Times do like a bit of gallows humour. That concludes this Serial Killer Saturday episode of Dr. William Palmer. We really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, please subscribe and tell your friends. Subscribing really helps us. We're aiming for 1,000 subscribers. There is no cost to you, and it really helps us. We have listened to our listeners' feedback and are working on increasing our longer episodes to four times a week. They will be uploaded Tuesdays, Wednesdays with our new series we are launching, Whitechapel Wednesdays, 
Thursdays and our new Serial Killer Saturdays. With shorter, but we believe still interesting stories uploaded on the other days of the week. For our podcast listeners, you can see this podcast with the associated pictures on our YouTube channel at News of the Times. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you again for watching and listening. This has been News of the Times, and I am Robin Coles.